the Stuff of Stories podcast. I'm Sarah Jane Rose and I'm here with Ian Pringle. And I'm Ian Pringle and I'm here with Sarah Jane Rose. And we're back um, after a lot of a lot of summer holidaying and, and uh, breaks and childcare chaos, etc, etc. So how are you? How was your summer? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, it's 2021. We just had a, a, a summer holiday. Um, I had a lovely summer. I was away in um, Scotland for quite a lot of it. Um, in uh, went to Loch Lomond for a few nights and then spent a lot of time on Mull, um, which was great. We got, you know, we got traditional Scottish weather, um, but we had, um, it's just such a beautiful place in terms of scenery um, and stories. We read some Celtic stories while we were up there. We've oh, did you? Got, yeah, yeah. We've got, got a couple of, um, I don't know if they were touristy or not, but we got a couple of Celtic storybooks, one from Iona when we went over there. Um, and yeah, kind of, it was nice to read stories around the fire with the mountains around you and kind of get that sense of story. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, we did a lot, yeah, lots of camping, um, yeah. and, uh, which is lots of campfire stories. The problem is, Mike, so we were at, um, we did a big group camping, uh, recently, just the, the weekend that's just gone, where one of the, um, mums from my daughter's school sort of organised this big, so there was like, uh, I think there was like 10 tents from her class and they we all camped on mass, which was quite fun. Um, and we did some sort of campfire storytelling. But we, we've been doing like quite, um, quite scary. Like my kids are a bit, they quite like scary stories, but obviously not all. And they were like, oh, we want to do scary campfire stories. And I was like, well, it's probably not just because you like them. Mm. <laughs> that's probably not great to do them. Mm. So we sort of rein it in a little bit for that. But um, yeah, they they really love kind of spooky stories and stuff around the campfire, which has been really nice to so. say. Cool. So while you've been away, I eventually uh, sorted out uh, the interview that I, that I did have to do twice um, with J.A. Zarifian, uh, who wrote Once Upon a Mouse. Yeah. Um, so we had that without you, which uh, has, has gone out. And um, so I thought we could talk a little bit about that. And then we are going to move into the other interview I did while you were away, which was with Sam Langley Swain of, of Owlet Press. Um, so yeah. I think what's interesting for me about those those two um, for me, I looked at. I wanted to talk to Jazz, as as I know her, for um, because her story is a story within sto- within a story, and it and it it encapsulates a lot of the traditional fairy tales, um, and and sort of this logical mouse goes through and tries to say, well, these don't make sense, and tries to solve them, which then causes problems. But some of the things she talks about is the fact that. We shouldn't just be throwing those stories away. I know that we're developing them and changing them for a modern world, but we also need to preserve them for what they were and the time that they were appropriate to. Mm. I just wondered what you what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think she, you know, there is something about that, isn't there? Like you know that they're they were made from a time, and it's good to not to not lose that because I suppose in terms of that idea of elders that we've talked about before. If they were the ones, if they were telling those stories and whatever version of those we've got now probably aren't quite how they were telling them. But even so, it's something of that oral history and they knew something back then, which we don't know so much now. And so it is a, it would be a loss to completely change those things and make them into something that we might deem or not deem politically correct. Um, so I think there's something in there i think that you know things like um you know i guess you could look at a lot of story t- t- 
details and sort of say, well, there's there's a sexist, misogynistic element to some of the stories. It's usually a male hero character and it's usually yeah. a feminine princess stuck in a turret or whatever. But I suppose some people would say, thinking about Richard, who we spoke to, and thinking about yeah. Jungian analysis, he would think, he, he might talk about, well, actually, it's not about the physical representation of a male or female is about that part of our own personalities. The part of us is that are feminine and the part of us that is the masculine yes. as both men and well, look, women. And we've talked about that quite a lot, haven't we? Is this, this yeah. idea that it's not uh, necessarily gender specific as such. It's the the feminine and the ma- and the masculine within us and that, that representation of... Um, of that. And, and, and as Jazz was saying, I think as well with some of these stories, they were a tool to prepare people for what life was like mm. um you know and and how and how they had to deal with things so yeah absolutely uh, and, that, and that's the most important thing for for that's what stories are for you yeah. know to and maybe you know to yeah maybe not maybe that you know we have the masculine and the feminine side of our own personalities but maybe it's deeper than that maybe there are parts of our personality that are culturally different that that or that that we don't access anymore that but maybe a story will allow us to access so I talked to Richard a little bit about cultural appropriation and, and some of the how people interpret that idea. But actually, something about hearing an African folk tale as a white British bloke um, might be really useful because it might allow me to access something in my in me that I wasn't aware of because I wasn't used to those stories. So, uh, yeah, I think absolutely so. So if you change them to fit your culture or your environment, then maybe you lose the stuff. You don't get the information from the people that you don't know who tell those stories. So yeah, um, and and yeah. and in the same in the same light, we need stories that are that represent our society as it is. So, but you know, they could be new stories, and I, I don't mind. I don't mind adaptations of 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 older stories as long as we then don't completely lose sort of what the original was for yeah it's um, about what the author's and... saying isn't it is the author saying it's wrong or is the author just yeah. adapting it of course adapt it exactly, you know yeah. play with it that's the part of the fun but don't we're not trying to say that the previous version was wrong in some way clean or, or, don't or, clean or it, let it dis- <laughs> yeah exactly clean, don't yeah, exactly clean it. don't it doesn't need to be necessarily cleaned no. we can have a new tale that yeah. tells a different story um and is relevant to 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 represent today's world um but also, you don't necessarily just have to. Deal. I think there's put there's potential for people to go. Well, we need to not talk about those stories, and we need to pretend they never happened because mm. they're now not appropriate. Mm. And I think that that's not necessarily. Um, the, no, that's the scary. That's kind of that's yeah. that's pretty. That's not nice at all. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and talking about that, so then my interview with um, the lovely Sam Langley Swain, who is the CEO of uh, Outlet Press. And and he specifically writes uh, or uh, public writes and publishes uh, modern stories, uh, mostly for children, and and they and and ha- has an emphasis on inclusiv- inclusivity and you know showing a mirror up to the world that uh, that we have it today. So um, that's what's going to follow. Yeah. So should we go straight into that? Yeah, it's going to, I, I love, I love the interview, but I'll talk to you about it afterwards. It was great. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. So here we are. We'll go straight into me talking to Sam Langley-Swain. So I'm sat on essentially what is a truck that's been turned into a park. It's one of the parklets that have popped up in and around Calaworth, and it's absolutely wonderful. But I'm not just sat here on my own. 
I'm here with Sam Langley Swain, who is, I'm going to go with CEO <laughs> of Owlet Press, which is a children's publishing company. And we're just going to have a bit of a chat about that and about him. So, hi, Sam. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Now, my first question to people is often instead of saying, hi, how are you? What are, what do you do? Because one of the things that we've come up across on the podcast was when I was talking um, to a storyteller about labels. And I think as a society, it's what do you do? Yeah. It's a bit, you know, putting people in, 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 hot, in, a, in a box. Yes. So instead, my question to you is, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> oh, well, I'm, um, I would say a jack of all trades, which um, sort of does me a little bit of a disservice, but I do have a finger in many pies. Um, primarily, I am the founder of Owlet Press, as you say, an inclusive children's picture book publisher. Um, and I'm also an author. So within that business, I'm fortunate enough to be able to publish my own picture books um, and have them sold around the world through my business and also support many other authors and illustrators from all different walks of life, which I love. Uh, I'm an adoptive dad of two. Um, two very stereotypical teenagers um, who have now outgrown the picture book years, yeah. Um, And I'm also an artist, so I paint as well and I'm very visually creative, which helps me to enjoy the work that I do within picture books. Apart from that, you've got nothing to do whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Very bored. Yes, (laughs) yes. No time for TV. I know the feeling. Um, And so tell us a little bit about how Outlet Press started. Yeah, this is really interesting. So I never set out to be an author or a publisher. Um, I, I really did fall into it. Um, when I adopted my children, I was really inspired and moved by their experiences and how resilient they had to become, um, how they had to adapt to a new life in my family. We're a two-dad family, so um, you know, finding books that were inclusive and reflected us was a challenge. Um, it wasn't a challenge that I necessarily wanted to respond to, but it definitely planted a seed. Um, and I wrote a Christmas story as a bit of fun for a composition, a composition run by Amazon uh, called Santa's Wish. And it was a story to inspire kindness, to help people think about vulnerable families and vulnerable children at Christmas. And um, I didn't win the competition, which is fine. Um, but then the story becomes your own. And I showed a few people and uh, they were all saying, you should really publish this. And I thought, okay, I, I might do that for a bit of fun. Yeah. I came into a, a little bit of money, um, which I decided to use to publish the book. And I self-published Santa's Wish. And I took it to every school fair, every market uh, that I could and we sold 8,000 copies in the first wow. 12 weeks, which was incredible and a, a real surprise. And I went to schools reading the book, and as I did, I had lots of teachers really like the story and ask what the next book was going to be. So that immediately planted a seed for book number two, and before I knew it, I was on book number four. I was desperate to try and get books in, my books into shops, for which I was told, well, you need to be a proper publisher, you need to have other authors and other books. And so I, I listened, I took the advice, uh, I met uh, an expert from the publishing industry who helped me shape the business and we took on authors and, and illustrators and grew from there. Cool. And, and, and in terms of your vision, so you're originally a book about 
kindness to, mm. to promote kindness. So then when you were looking for other authors, yeah. what were you looking for? Well, there was an interesting balance at that time when we were growing early between family and friends who had written books and having credible books that would make a difference in the market. Mm. So I wasn't big enough for anybody to give me a submission or want Outlet Press to publish their book in the early days. Now I get about five submissions a day and I publish between 10 and 15 a year. So the editing process and the selection process is very different. But at the time I was looking at people that I knew, close friends who had interesting stories to tell that for me felt worthwhile. I didn't set out to be an inclusive children's publisher. That was naturally the way that our business started because being a member of the LGBTQ plus community and having friends from all walks of life, it's just the way that I live my life and I wanted to respond in a natural way. So we launched a book that was written by a mixed race author that wasn't about being mixed race, but it was giving a platform to that person. And we also worked on a book from a friend of mine who'd actually been homeless for um, some time and lived in temporary accommodation. So it was, you know, thinking about those types of voices that weren't in the market and would make a difference by publishing their book. And do you think in terms of the actual the storytelling element of it were you kind of always passionate about using stories to make a difference was that just something that I guess in my background I trained in fine art and I've always been visually creative and that element of visual storytelling was always ingrained in me when I moved in the corporate world before I became a publisher I worked in marketing and brand strategy and that is a you know a very corporate but effective way of storytelling again so I've actually worked on two or three corporate partnerships as well with our picture books and to promote that offer to other brands I've actually created a book called Storyteller which is all about me writing stories as a child creating stories for big brands and then creating stories for children and then finding a way to blend the two so storytelling just runs through my veins yeah yeah and and, and how's the sort of reception be to out. I mean, it feels to me, um, and it, that might not be a true uh, thing, that, that it was immediately uh, kind of very successful and very well received. But I imagine that that's probably not the truth of it. There's probably some sort of stumbling blocks along the way. Yeah, the stumbling blocks are just my learning of the industry. Yeah. The industry took a little while to get through the door. And when you're in the door, it's very welcoming. It's much more friendly as an industry than I thought it was going to be. I thought I would be treated like a poor relation, like a newcomer, like an outsider. And actually, every person that I've met has been helpful, welcoming, patient, supportive. And I thought it'd be quite cutthroat because, yeah. you know, in, in reality, we're all selling books to the same customers. But but no, it, that's been really great. Once we got in the door, once we had that level of respect, then it was very welcoming. In the early days, what happened is Every time somebody, like a customer or a teacher, would discover Outlet Press, they would be really excited by what we would offer and they would advocate really strongly and they would talk really passionately about me and what I was trying to do. And that helped grow this element of perceived success. Yeah. The success now is getting through into Waterstones or into independent bookshops. I'm very lucky to have extremely supportive independent bookshops and we've moved beyond that now where we have distribution through a company that talks to all the bookshops and every time a book lands there is an independent store that is very excited about it and will talk equally about Outlet Press as a publisher as they do the book 
And that is an important difference, I think, for me as a small publisher. You know, the big boys are faceless, but actually as a small business, people know me, they know why I'm doing it, they know why I choose each story that's in my list, and they're really excited to see what comes next. And so tell us a little bit about some of the stories that you've published most recently. Oh, wow. So um, I have written a book that's due to be published in September, which talks about anger and loss, which is called Storm in a Jar. And that actually is inspired by a story my son told me to talk about, to describe how he was feeling when he was really angry. So he was so frustrated and he used the metaphor, I've got a storm inside a jar. And I said, well, if you don't write that book for me, I'm putting it in my little ideas pocket and I'm going to use it. So um, I think for me as an author, particularly, I like to listen rather than try and sit and create and imagine. Listening for me is great and listening to other people's stories, especially stories from around the world. That inspires a lot of the books that I write. In terms of publishing, we recently published a book called The Sunflower Sisters, which is by a South Asian author. And it talks about their lived experience through colorism. And the story is told in a really deliberate way, in a really kind, uplifting and empowering way, rather than villainizing those who show familiar color, familial colorism. So it's really important, you know, the storytelling isn't just the plot. It's about the angle that you take and the language and the tone that you use. Um, and people do respond to that in, in their reading of the book. And, and it's obviously, this is kind of your mission in a way, is for these books to be accessible to children and so that they're seeing these things that help them to understand the world around them. Do you think that you've achieved that in some way? I think we go every, every step forward to achieve that. We're not going to change the world overnight, but we do have several messages regularly to say, this has changed a child's outlook, or this has changed how a child sees their future, or this has changed a family because they've never seen an autistic child in a book before. We released a book in June called Nen and the Lonely Fisherman, which is a same-sex love story in a way, which is child appropriate, the way it's been written and delivered. And we've been overwhelmed by the response from teachers using it in schools. We thought that we were dealing with our own... They'd be afraid of it. Yeah, we thought that there would be a fear around it. And to be honest, that is from the internalised shame that we have as LGBT author, illustrator and publisher. And actually, we've been overwhelmed by the response we've had from outside our community. And particularly with teachers as well, the, the activities with the book and what they the way they're using it in class has been inspiring. And we had a message from one teacher who said that a little boy instantly resonated with the book and was skipping around, was actually in the process of coming out to his family. And doing something for that child is incredibly powerful and gives me the drive that I need to to work so long and so hard every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the way, for me, and it's kind of something I've just, I think I already knew, but during the podcast, I feel like I've sort of rediscovered it or discovered it a bit more, that the way that storytelling um, does have this power to change people's perceptions, but without, but in such a gentle way, like yeah. you were saying, there's, there's, you just go through this little journey, you go through a story, and you're not, you know, forcing someone to change their mind. Okay, you yeah. must think this because of this, this and this. Yeah. You know, you're taking them on a, on a journey through stories. And I think that's so important. And do you think one of the one of the focuses that we've been talking about a lot on the, um, and, I, and again, you, you'll probably be similar to me, you're probably a very storytelling family, I imagine. 
do you think the modern world doesn't lend itself to storytelling within the family unit in a kind of traditional way? A hundred percent. And I think even more now, my children are growing slightly older, we've missed out more recently on that art of storytelling and reading together even and sharing stories, let alone telling them. And having not grown up with the internet from an early age and not, you know, growing up being surrounded by Netflix and smartphones, it's really apparent to me that particularly children are conditioned to absorb content rather than create it. They absorb stories almost instantly in a way that we would have to seek them out and sort of co-create when we were younger. And then when you ask them to tell a story, it becomes almost alien to them. I think when they're younger, it becomes a bit freer and they don't have the inhibitions. But actually, as they get older, the more they're used to being more recessive and consuming stories, consuming media, the idea of actually creating and telling feels more and more alien, which makes me quite sad. Yeah, and then, and I think, and also, because then, you know, like you said, you know, with teenagers or school-age kids, they're then at that point, we talked about this as well, where the stories that they come across are things that they're studying. And yeah. then it becomes a real barrier because it's like, oh, God. You know, because actually, when I studied, I studied some wonderful books, but I hated them yeah. because you had to study them. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there has to be a way that we can, I don't know, it's hard, and, uh, that we can somehow bring that back in. We do a bit of, we talk to some improvisers and on the podcast, we do a bit of that. But my kids are still young, so it's easier because they're happy to kind of play and, and do that. But then, you know, at what point does that become a real problem? Yeah. And in a way, it would be great if, particularly higher up in the school, in secondary school, for example, like you were saying, you have to study these quite in-depth books. It would be great if there was an element of self-selection for these kids so that they could study something that had a remote interest or passion for them. I remember I had to study four feminist texts in my English A-level because all of my teachers were female and feminist. So I had to do all the Brontes, I did Maya Angelou poetry, and I enjoyed some elements, but to have some variety or something that was tailored to what I would enjoy would have been really powerful and would have really made me more immersed in those stories and be able to regale them and be more interactive with them. And particularly now that literature is so diverse, yeah. there is a real scope for that. Yeah, yeah but I think that's a great idea. Yeah, so you, see, you approach it in a way of you go, do some research, find a book that you want to study, yeah. um, and then presumably you still get the same outcome. Yeah, well, the task is still the same. Yeah. You know, look at inference, talk about plot and structure, write about your view on X. Actually, you know, you could just say, we need you to write a, a breakdown of the main character, for example, yeah. and that could be Hi. with anybody. Oh, is this your van? It's not no. our van. It's, no. no, it's gorgeous, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you go to the QR code here, oh, right, right. you can find out about the community parklet. Oh, is that what it is? I want to get yeah. my granddaughters down to get yeah, them a picture. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's lovely, it's really lovely, yeah. Yeah, sorry to just... No, no it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> it is lovely. Yeah, I love it. I literally feel like I'm in a garden. <laughs> and there's so many bees. I took so I took so many photos on Sunday because there's bees everywhere. Yeah. And this is, like I said, it's in the centre of town in a car park. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So okay. So we can solve the world, save the world through storytelling. I think that's uh, that's the, the goal. Yeah, but I also <laughs> think, how do you encourage children to do it, to do it in to learn that art of storytelling? Yeah. You know, I'm guilty myself of just putting a book in front of my child and telling them to read. 
you know, and, I, and I'm also guilty of not letting them read what they want to for pleasure because my son likes graphic novels and I'm like, you're too old to be reading that. Yes. You should be reading something that's more, you know, at your reading level, what school tells you you should read. But actually, you know, reading is very different to storytelling. Yeah. And we don't put enough emphasis on the latter. Tell us where we can find out more about Sam Langsway and Ella Press. Thank you. Yeah, well, you can follow me personally on Instagram. I'm at StoryDad. You can follow Owlet Press on any social media platform. Our handle is at Owlet Press. Our website is OwletPress.com and you can ask your local independent bookseller about our books. Great. Thank you so much. I'll Thank see you, you. Thanks very much. So thanks to Sam from Owlet Press. That was a, a really interesting interview. It kind of, it struck me, as, I'm, when I did when I when I work in theatre and, and drama and things like that, I've, I've always kind of worked in this world of applied theatre and this idea of sort of taking theatre and drama but using it in um, using it with different audiences, audiences that don't access those things, and using it as a way to get people to think about change fundamentally. And it struck me that almost what Sam's doing, although I'm sure there's a commercial element to what he does, he's obviously quite savvy, but the but actually it's almost like applied publishing. He's got this. He's got this real focus on um, change, a, a particular area of change, getting people to think differently about sexuality and particularly sort of education of children around those areas and issues of equality. And um, and it and it's it's just so nice that that that's happening through stories, so children can kind of make what they want of those stories. It's not it's not like you know educating with a capital e it's letting people learn from these stories that are being created and yeah and i, and I think letting them know not just them i think the 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 follow-on from that almost is that it, it lets people know that it's okay to talk about these things you know you don't have to someone was um talking to me the other day about uh how obviously you know what kids are like and they point at people and say things really rude <laughs> and she was in a park and there was a, a same-sex couple walking and her and her son said look there's two men holding hands two men shouldn't be holding hands and she was mortified and she was sort of trying to respond in in the right way and she said and I was purposely talking really loud so that they could hear me and then as a result of that I made the whole situation even more awkward than it was in the beginning and it, and, it, and and I think that's it isn't it those stories can can also help you to understand that it's okay to talk you know and, and people understand that kids are kids and um and that they're going to say stuff like that but i think having these inclusive stories and it, 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 it they speak to everyone it's not just for the children i think everyone goes yeah absolutely okay, and it's you know, that it's a common third well. activity isn't it the book is a thing that the 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 child and parent or teacher and child or child and other children can look at together and um it makes it's just that it just strikes me again it's stories and how they make things possible even though it's fictional it brings a reality into the world of that person of that reader and or that listener and they can then begin to accept that in a way that they might so that your example is brilliant because had that child sort of done that story a few times um he may not have even commented on those two men holding hands if he had um mum could have just gone oh well you, you know you remember the story we read yeah, there we go. Problem solved. World solved uh, with stories. Um, 
but I mean, there are other books as well. It's, it's it, it, you know, it's not all about uh, sort of same sex stuff. The things that the the one that he's come out at the moment is um, the Storm in the Jar, which talks about sort of his son who used that as a. Um, uh, what do you yeah, it's it? a metaphor for anger that is uh, for his rage that that he that he felt, and I think then that's good as well, isn't it? Is just is sort of having a look at those things and saying, you know, we it's, it's okay to to feel like that and um and to deal with all of those emotions, which I think again that's that's what what storytelling Brilliant. is for. And it's a lovely, it's nice to hear that as just from a, a writer's perspective that he had that spark, which was just a simple conversation with his son, and yeah, and obviously it sounds to me like he's somebody that can only write uh comes back to that thing of you know tell the stories that you care about he can only write when he when he gets something that's like oh yeah that that matters that needs to be told to some people let's turn that into a story yeah which is a great thing for a a, a publisher to have really um and and coincidentally seamlessly um plugging what's happening next with us is that sam and i did that interview in talisman square in kenilworth and which is this which is a car park but it's been transformed into this sort of bee friendly wild garden um and in a couple of weeks on the uh, 18th of september we are doing the stuff of stories live in Kenilworth. Are we? We are, yes. So I hope you're oh booked and ready. <laughs> real, real people. So we're win real people, actual people. Um, we are. So the, mo- the majority of Kenilworth Arts Festival is taking place on the main stage in Talisman Square, where we where we recorded that interview. Um, but uh, we are going to be in uh, the St Nick's Hall, it's called, which is in the old part of Kenilworth, which is very nice. Um, and it's not just us. So we're there. We're going to do a live version of uh, the stuff of stories and it's going to be quite interactive. So if you're going to join us, you will be part of we're going to be recording the whole podcast and you will be part of that episode or episodes as it might be. And we are interviewing Frankie Meredith, who's written a play called The Petticoat Council, which is about the first all-female council. And the cast of uh, The Petticoat Council are going to do a live reading from the show for us. Um, So that's going to be the first part of the evening. And then it's followed by, so we then collaborated with um, Scripts Out Loud, uh, which is something slightly different, where they are um, a bunch of animation voice actors who get together and sort of pre-voice animation scripts. So they approach um, writers who are writing scripts and say, do you want us to have a go at this kind of in, in the development stage? Because what tends to happen with animation is the voice actors get pulled in at the very end so they wanted they want to try and make this a more collaborative experience no it sounds really interesting it's like a sort of devising process for in a a way um which yeah that sounds fascinating actually so they're going to be there doing that as well so that's a full evening of podcast and voicing animation and music because uh, uh our lovely musician alicia who is alicia who um does the intro music for us created that for us she's going to be there live as well brilliant so we're going to get a live a live intro that's quite exciting isn't it and she does she 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 might play around a little bit as well because she does the music for the improv group so she might occasionally interrupt with some noises and stuff if she feels like it i said she was was happy um and we're also going to um, bob around during the day at the festival and record people and i think we're going to be hosting um uh, the, there is actually a podcast studio that's uh, available in Kenilworth that people. T- you say a bit about that because I don't know exactly. 
drop in. So we're going to yeah. do a podcast drop in. So there is the Kenilworth Centre, which we're kind of taking over for the day, bits and pieces of the day. And they have a radio station and a podcast studio that you can go in. So if you're thinking of recording a podcast and you live in Kenilworth, you can pop in, plug in your stuff. And if you've got guests and whatever, I think there's four mics there at the moment. Um, and you can probably add more depending on what stuff you've got. Um, and we're going to be there as like a drop in centre. So you can pop in, say hi to us, have a bit of a chat. If you want to, you can basically have a go at recording a podcast and Ian and I will show you some different ways to edit or different different platforms that you can use and that kind of thing. So you can just drop in and have a have a chat. So we're calling that the podcast drop-in. That might be nice to do. I've just I thought about an idea what we could do if we meet some people. So if people want to come in, then if if they want to, they could record like a little intro to um, the stuff of stories and we could use that on some different episodes. So that'd be fun as well. Yeah. Or they could come in and tell us a story. Oh, if they've got one, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then we mm. can use it in the podcast. It's very open. That's mm. going to be very flexible. Come in, have a chat, record some stuff, play around. Um, and in the meantime, because I don't want Ian to be sat doing nothing, I want to make sure that he's really busy oh. all day. Mm. Um, we're going to be <laughs> also recording some of the other. So there's lots going on. There's live music um, on Friday night, live music and dance on Friday night. There's all sorts of family events during the day, Saturday, and more live music Saturday night. More stuff on Sunday, including um, yoga, storytelling. Kate from Kate Story Two, who we've introduced. Gong bath. Sound gong bath. Sound gong bath. I'm definitely going to be going. They're to good. Them. They are good. I've been to one before. Have you done one? I've not oh, done one. They are very good. Yeah. I'm very. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. So, um, yes, there's loads of things going on. But Ian and I are going to be sort of popping in and out and interviewing different people. So we'll have lots of sort of soundscapes from the festival, interviews with people, um, and doing a. a that and at some point we're doing a takeover of the radio station because there's Abbey radio station so we'll i'm do not that. sure we're going to be able to do all these things there's so much so many things <laughs> in the meantime i'm also organizing the entire festival that's <laughs> um so that's a very long plug for the kenilworth arts festival which we will be at and you can come to too um we need to move on now to the final part of this uh the final part of this production uh which is the um what have you been listening to recently um we haven't got a catchy jingle for that yet um so have you got anything you've been listening to recently or have you been too busy organizing this arts festival honestly i've been yeah i've been a bit apart from listening to bits and pieces of stuff that we've uh, been booking for the festival i haven't been really listening to any podcasts um i have been listening to um obviously audiobooks as usual and uh i've been listening the kids and i've been listening to the the um beatrix potter collection uh this time narrated by andrew scott who i really like um and those those are lovely they're really nice oh shout out to andrew scott bit of a recommendation there cool okay um well i discovered a, a podcast i hope i haven't mentioned this on the show already i don't think i have um, I certainly only really started listening to it on holiday and listened to a couple of episodes. So, um, Folk on Foot. It's uh, it's a bit like Ramblings, if anyone's ever heard that on Radio 4, where they go for a walk. So they always go for a walk or go somewhere with, with somebody, but it's always with a musician, a folky kind of musician, generally speaking. Um, but the beauty of it is, along the way, that musician plays music and it's recorded very well. The, the It's all really high-quality recording. Um and it's often recorded in a particular environment. So there's a number of different shows. A couple I'll recommend are, you should definitely check out one with um, 
uh, Robert McFarlane and Johnny Flynn. So if anyone's read any of Robert McFarlane's work, he wrote all of the Lost Words poems. Um, He's written some incredible books like The Underland and all the books about sort of woodland um, and how trees talk to each other and really fascinating stuff. And he he did an episode with Johnny Flynn, who he's been working with, who's a great folk musician and actor. And then I listened to one, which was brilliant. This guy called Cosmo Sheldrake, who's quite well known in the folk musician way. He's, it's a great name. His dad is actually a very well known, quite famous and radical biologist whose first name I can't remember. But so he's kind of, I guess he comes from, a, a you know, an interesting background. But he's into music and sound recording and sound creation. And um, he's got some great stuff on Spotify of birds so he's recorded birds but then turned them into these incredibly beautiful pieces of music um but on this episode with him i won't reveal the whole thing but there's one moment where they get to this woodland clearing um cosmo climbs up a tree and they mic it from quite a long distance so you get the full ambience and resonance of the woodland as he sings this song a cappella from a tree and that's just a fundamentally exquisite thing to listen to and it's very all very very well put together um by uh, matthew bannister who's the host and he, do, he does a great job so you really should listen to um folk on foot if you get the opportunity to do so yeah so that's what i've been listening to mm-hmm. so i think that brings us pretty much to the end of this episode um it felt like a quite a nice catch-up. Hopefully people feel like they've caught up with us and they know what to do. If they like it, um, please do subscribe to the podcast, then you'll hear more of every show that we do. And feel free to drop us a review if you get a chance. You can do that, obviously, on iTunes, and you can also do it on Podcast Addict. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about what Ian and I do, I'm Sarah Jane Rose, and you can find out more about me on sarahjanerose.uk. And Ian? I'm uh, Ian Pringle Voice at uh, ianpringlevoice.com, sorry. And uh, and also uh, our production house website is listingshelf.co.uk. So there's stuff there, sort of the, what we can offer to other people that might want a podcast made or an audiobook recorded or any of those things. So um, you can get in touch with us there. Lots of other things that we play we around with. And if you want to have a look at getting tickets for um, Sunday the 18th of September for the live event then you can go to www.canonwithartsfestival.co.uk and you'll find them there great thanks very much cool thanks a lot bye This podcast was produced by Listening Shelf Audio.